It's so good for us to gather around God's word. Um, I think of what the psalmist wrote uh, when he wrote that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. Uh, What that means is that God's word, it it lights up the way. It gives us direction. It gives us strength. It gives us encouragement. Um, God's word shines a big old spotlight on Jesus, who's the center of our peace and our and our joy and our hope. Like I said, it's good for us to gather around God's word today and and every day. Well, I don't need to tell you that this past week has been probably one of the weirdest and most surreal weeks of our entire lifetimes. In fact, maybe you said something like I've said this past week, which is, um, I've never experienced anything like it before. It's amazing how all of us have had at one time or another this week had to refocus or recalibrate things that seemed at other times to just be the norm. We've had to change things. Um, I think of a few weeks ago already um, where the standard handshake um, or bro hug uh, had been changed to the growing in popularity um, elbow bump. Um, And then just uh, a few days ago, even that now is something that we're being advised to have no physical contact um, when greeting someone. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know that I've ever spent as much time paying attention to door handles and doorknobs than I am right now. In fact, I was out in public a few days ago, and if you want to find something interesting to watch, just watch people as they try to navigate door handles in a public setting. Uh, Some people use their forearm, some people put their sleeve over their hand, some people just wait for someone else (laughs) to open the door. Um, I'm really proud to announce to all of you that I have always been a hand washer. But over the last week or two, I don't know that if I've ever thought as much also about the length and the veracity of washing my hands. In fact, uh, there's been more than once where I washed my hands, dried them, thought, I don't know if it was long enough, and went back in for round two of washing my hands. Um, What about touching your face? Like, we're not supposed to touch our face. And until I really thought about it this past week or the past week or two, I never realized how often I touch my face and and how much, if you're anything like me, I've had to adjust the way that I I do that. And then there's America's sudden obsession with mass quantities of toilet paper. Like I said, um, it's been a weird week. And, and I share these examples of weirdness in our country because I, I want it to be lighthearted and I want us to smile and to just kind of take a breath a little bit. But the truth is that it hasn't only been a weird week, it's also been kind of a scary week, hasn't it? It's been easy to become overwhelmed by all the different ways that we possibly might get sick. Um, It's easy to read about what's going on in Italy and to become overwhelmed with thinking, what might it like be like in the United States in a couple of weeks? 
Uh, for some of us, we're overwhelmed as we watch the stock market plunge and as we think about the financial implications of that with our jobs or with our businesses or with our investments. We can be overwhelmed as we think about a loved one who's in one of the high-risk categories and maybe some of you at home are in one of those categories. There's so much to think about and consider today in all the uncertainty of the weeks to come. And frankly, it can be a little bit, as I've said, overwhelming. That's why I started the way I did today. That it is so good for us to gather around God's word, his truth, his direction, his peace, his joy. I'm going to give you the main encouragement here at the beginning of the message this morning, and then we're going to talk all about it and why it is true. But the encouragement that I want to give you this morning is our first fill-in for today, and it goes like this. Even though there's uncertainty, there doesn't need to be fear. Or to say it another way, even when there's uncertainty, that doesn't mean that there needs to be fear. And like I said, what we want to do today with the rest of the time that we have together is we want to take a look at why that is true. Why we don't need to be fearful even when we're in the midst of uncertainty. Why even in the midst of uncertainty, we can be, as the theme of my message says, we can be fearless and we can live with less fear. I, I mentioned before that we're starting a brand new series today that's called uh, Before I Go. And it is looking in depth at some of the teachings that Jesus shared with his disciples in the hours before he would leave them, before he would die, and then on the third day rise again. And the interesting thing is that the disciples, the 12 disciples, were in a very similar season that we were in this past week of feeling uncertain, of feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Let me give you some context for the words of Jesus that we're going to look at in just a moment. So in John chapter 11, um, Jesus says that he's going to head to the home of Mary and Martha because his good friend Lazarus, their brother, had just died. Now, where Mary and Martha lived was right near Jerusalem. And probably the worst place in all of the world for Jesus to go at that time was Jerusalem. It was the most dangerous place for him to go. And the disciples knew that, and they knew that because they were associates or friends of Jesus, that it was dangerous for them as well. And so in John chapter 11, as Jesus tells them where they're going, Thomas says this. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. You see, the disciples knew, they understood that following Jesus to Jerusalem might mean, Thomas was convinced, that it might mean their death. Well, as many of you know, Jesus got to Mary and Martha's. And kind of a cool thing, he 
He raised Lazarus from the dead, called him out of the tomb. And then after that, they went to Jerusalem and they got together in an upstairs little room, locked the door to celebrate the Passover together. And they locked that door because outside of the room, there was enemies and there was danger. And frankly, Jesus pointed out that inside the room, there were enemies as well. As you might remember, it was that evening that Jesus pointed out that one of the people gathered in the room would actually betray Jesus into death. And so the disciples are freaking out. They're overwhelmed. There's pressure and danger and uncertainty outside of the locked door. There's pressure and uncertainty and danger inside of the room. And Jesus senses this. He knows how they're feeling. He can tell that they're feeling overwhelmed, that their hearts are troubled. And so here's the encouragement that he gives to them and to us. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And the idea behind that word trouble is maybe how you felt your heart being this week. It it means to be all stirred up, to be uneasy. He's saying, don't let your hearts be uneasy. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And at times over the years, I had felt like this was a little bit disjointed. What was Jesus exactly getting at with that second line? But when you you look at the Greek, you, you realize that another translation for the word translated believe is probably a better understanding for us. What Jesus is saying is trust in God. Trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust, trust in God, trust in me. God's son. What he's telling them is when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling anxious, whether it's the coronavirus or anything else, when you're feeling overwhelmed, focus your heart. And that's interesting because so often we don't focus on our hearts. We find ourselves focusing on what? on the circumstances, on the things around us, on the problems that are prevalent all over. We find ourselves too focused on circumstances. Let me give you an example of what can happen when that happens from this past week. So before Governor Waltz gave the encouragement that we shouldn't have large gatherings together in person. Um, Our staff here at North Cross had done a lot of homework and a lot of thinking about how we would have an in-person gathering, but it be as much free from germs as possible. And so there's the obvious things like, uh, let's not shake hands as we greet each other, or greeters can greet with a hello, but not shake hands, and to concentrate on door handles and, and doorknobs. But as we did this brainstorming session, every moment there was something else we thought about that would be a prime target for passing germs. Uh, 
the pens that we all use and share, the offering baskets that we pass down the row, the iPads where families check in their kids, the coffee dispensers and the creamers out near the cafe, and on and on and on. And at a certain point, this was before we decided that we weren't going to have in-person services, I'm just like, this is impossible. There's no way that we can create this environment that we wanted to create. I was overwhelmed by the circumstances. You see, I was overwhelmed because I was focused on controlling my environment and controlling the circumstances. And whenever we as human beings, as finite creatures, creations of the creator, try to control our environment or try to control the circumstances of life, you are going to feel the exact same way that I did as trying to control a small little area like this church. You see, there is always a gap between what we experience and what we control. There's always a gap between what we can, exp- what we can experience and what we can control. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be aware of our circumstances. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do all we can to be careful during this time and to make sound decisions and to listen to the direction of um, health officials and government agencies. We should do all of those things, absolutely. We would be negligent if we don't. But what I am saying is at a certain point, there's going to be this gap between what we can control and the circumstances of life, what we can experience. And the question is, what are we going to do with that gap? You know what Jesus tells us to do? Quit focusing on circumstances as if we can control them. Because it's in that when we become the most fearful, the most anxious, frankly, it's when we get the most frustrated with God and the most unhappy when we're trying to control our environment. Instead, he says, back to 14 verse 1, trust in God, trust in me. When you're feeling anxious and overwhelmed, focus on your heart. Trust in God. And trust in Jesus, his son. Maybe this might be a helpful way to say it. Our second fill-in. We should give our attention to circumstances, but don't put your trust there. Give your trust to God. Give your attention to circumstances. That's what a wise person would do. But when it comes to the trust that you have, Don't put them in your control. Give your trust to God. See, Jesus totally understood what difficult circumstances the disciples were enduring. This was not an easy season for them, and frankly, they were just at the beginning of it. It was going to get worse for the disciples. And as many of you know, not because God was negligent, but because God has a plan that's greater than ours, 
almost all of the disciples ended up being killed for their faith. And as Jesus is with them, he's like, do you realize as they're anxious and troubled. Do you realize that you have the God that created the universe on your side? Do you know that God loves you and he is with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you? Then what are you doing being so anxious? He's with you. I'm with you. I care for you. Put your trust in me. And 2,000 years later, in the midst of coronavirus, you know what Jesus is saying to you? Do you not realize that the God that created the universe is with you and that he loves you and that he cares for you and that he will never leave you or forsake you? Don't worry. Put your trust in me. You know, sometimes it can be helpful to think of examples of God's faithfulness in the past when considering his faithfulness in the present and his care and his love. Um, One of the most powerful, and there's many of them, but one of the most powerful examples in the Bible for me of how God is always there and sometimes we just don't realize it is with the prophet Elisha. So here's what was happening. The king of Aram had it out for Elisha. And so he sent an army to kill some Israelites and to capture Elisha. And Elisha's servant gets up one morning, maybe to go out to get Elisha's Starbucks or something, but gets up early one morning. (laughs) And he walks out of the tent, looks around the horizon. There is a plateau all around the city. And all on the plateau, what he sees is the enemy army and chariots of Aram. He's freaking out. So he goes back into the tent, tells Elisha, filled with fear, Elisha prays, Lord, please open the servant's eyes so that he can see what I know. And God opens Elisha's eyes. He walks back out of the tent, looks at the horizon and sees angel chariots, and an army of angels that far outnumbered the army of Aram. And guess who won that battle? It wasn't Aram. See, God doesn't normally allow our eyes to be opened like that but he is no less with us in each and every circumstance and season of life than he was with Elisha. And I know not everything always turns out the way we want it to. The reality is, before last week, you were already struggling with some things. Last week just was on top of it all, okay? And not everything in our life, not all the things we're struggling with turn out exactly the way We hope they would, but that's not because God is not with you, nor that he doesn't love you, because God with you 
is always more powerful than the circumstances before you. God with you is always more powerful than whatever it is that might be before you. Well, at this point, Jesus now directs his disciples to think about the bigger picture. Verse two says this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And, and I just love how whenever Jesus wants to calm someone's heart, part of the answer always needs to be looking outside of this life and to the bigger picture and what comes next. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He directs his disciples to that which he was going to do starting the very next day. And Jesus wasn't going to prepare a home for his disciples by putting a nail through wood. Instead, he was going to do it by allowing soldiers to put a nail through himself. And as Jesus died in just what was less than 12 hours later, as he rose again on the third day, Jesus was doing that home prep work that he talked about here, creating a place for his disciples to recognize as awaiting them whenever it is that God might joyfully allow them to go to their eternal home. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he gives them confidence. If I go and prepare a place for you, I, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. See, if I'm gonna go do this work, if I'm gonna go for you, I'm gonna come back for you. That's my promise to you. You can count on it. No matter what you have in your past, no matter how far you've, you've wandered, by faith in Jesus, in faith in me, I'm gonna come back for you. You know, I, I just have always loved the illustration that Jesus uses here of heaven being like home. In a time when I think all of us are uncomfortable, <laughs> home is that one place that you can be. The place where you wear those pajama pants that your wife wishes you throughout years before, or at least months. The place where it doesn't matter exactly how your hair looks and no one judges you, except for maybe an older sibling or so. It's a place of comfort, a place of love, a good home is. And when you and I think of what's awaiting us after this life, the picture Jesus uses is that one. A home and a room. He's gotten all ready for you. Curtains up, painting on the wall, just how you want it. And when that is on the other side of this earthly life, what is there truly to fear? 
or to say it this way. Number three, because your room is finished, your fear can be too. Because Jesus finished your room. The anxiety and fear that keeps us up at night, that can be finished as well. What do we have to fear as people with an eternal home waiting for us? And so let's talk about application. Jesus' direction for the disciples in that upper room in this really crazy, difficult season that they were in was all about focus, making sure to stay focused. Um, Focus is an interesting thing. Most uh, cameras nowadays, whether they be on your phone or uh, a nicer camera like this, um, has something that's called autofocus. And so what that means is that people who know nothing about photography like me can actually, you know, take pictures and they turn out all right. What works with cameras, though, doesn't work in life. You see, our autofocus in the midst of challenges and anxiety and circumstances of life, our autofocus, what comes naturally is to focus in naturally on the circumstances and to try to control environment and to, to, try, to, to try to figure it out. I know God's there, but I need to control. That's our autofocus. What I'm encouraging you to do, what Jesus was encouraging the disciples to do is to turn it to manual. To not allow the autofocus to take you away, but instead to turn it to manual. And as our fourth fill-in says, adjust your focus. If you get overwhelmed in the next week or weeks in trying to control the cleanliness of your environment, adjust your focus. If you become anxious or overwhelmed as you read about what's going on in Italy and consider cases of coronavirus growing in the States over the next weeks, let's say, if that happens. If you become anxious over that, take it off of autofocus and adjust your focus on the God who is with you. When you begin to wonder what retirement's going to look like or will the markets ever come back or what about my job? I get it. We need to pray about it. We need to make smart decisions. But when we begin to feel worried, adjust your focus. When you're all concerned about elections and the person you wanted to win does, and you've put all your hope in that, adjust your focus. And when your person doesn't win, he or she, adjust your focus. Our application is so simple, but sometimes so hard to do. 
when you're overwhelmed, stop and adjust your focus off of the circumstances and onto our hearts and in our hearts to know, to trust Jesus and know that he's with us. This chapter of Jesus' teaching, it ends in a very similar way as it began. Verse 27 of John 14 goes this way. So, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. See, I don't give to you as the world gives. In many ways, the way we have temporary peace on this world, in this world, is by turning off the news and knowing less. And sometimes we need to do that. But in some ways, it's a peace out of ignorance, isn't it? When it comes to the peace that Jesus gives, that God gives, it's a peace that comes by knowing more and knowing deeper and better who he is and what he's done. That's the peace that he gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It's the exact same phrase he started the chapter with. And do not be afraid. I'm going to leave you with an example of the amazing love of your Savior. I am so blown away by Jesus' concern for his disciples here and for us. He's, he's concerned that they're troubled. He's redirecting their hearts. He's telling them that he's going to leave them peace. That he's loving on them. And all along, what's the context for Jesus? In just a few short hours, he would be betrayed and beaten and die for you and for me. And yet, the amazing heart and love of Jesus is seen all over this chapter and all over the Bible as he prioritized you over himself on the cross and he did that here too in his last moments. I don't know what next week brings, as far as circumstances go. But here's what I do know. That the all-powerful God walks with us, and even better, that Jesus, who loves us immensely, has redeemed us from all sin, and in that way has redeemed us from all fear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to gather online around the word. These words that you shared with the disciples in their context 2,000 years ago are exactly the words that we need to hear in our context 2,000 years later. Lord, I pray that for everyone who is feeling anxious or overwhelmed or maybe has a little bit of fear, that when that happens, that we adjust our focus and that we take our eyes off of control and onto your control, off of ourselves and onto you. 
We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.